Hello, I'm Michael Bott. And I'm Rupert Soskin. Welcome to another Prehistory Guys interview, bringing you different perspectives on the distant past. And today we're introducing you to a couple of guys from up in the north of Scotland. We're part of a team working on an exciting undertaking called the Caithness Brock Project to reconstruct an Iron Age Brock and give the public a better understanding of what these enigmatic structures were all about. Yes, Ian McLean, who dreamed up the project, is a builder with many years' experience of traditional skills working with stone. And Kenneth McElroy, another of the founding members of the team, is currently studying archaeology at the University of Glasgow, where he was granted the rather impressive title of Future World Changer in 2018. As well as the daunting undertaking of building an entire broch with all traditional materials and methods, the project has a number of wider-reaching aims. The site will be an educational visitor centre, which will undoubtedly become a significant tourist destination for Caithness. They'll also be heavily involved in conservation and consolidation of other prehistoric sites around Caithness. So if you don't know what a broch actually is or the significance of the north of Scotland in this particular facet of prehistory, you'll have a much better understanding after listening to these two chaps telling us what they're up to. Indeed you will. We certainly enjoyed chatting with them, and we're sure you will too. So, Ian, Kenneth, welcome, and thanks very much for joining us on The Prehistory Guys. And just to kick off, tell us a little bit about yourselves, really, so that people... Our viewers know who they're looking at and uh, and, and what you're about. Uh, hi, I'm Kenneth McElroy. I am 31 years old. Uh, this sounds like a blind date or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, I am a student at Glasgow University and um, studying archaeology. I'm going into my fourth year. Um, so um, fingers crossed all that goes well. Hello, I, my name is Ian McLean. And I am 36 years old, believe it or not. Um, and I am a self-employed builder to trade like, and also the uh, co-founder of the Caithness Pro Project, along with Kenneth. Brilliant. Tell us a bit about what you, what brought you together, and then uh, and then we'll, we'll get into uh, uh, some Brock details after that. But what what was it that brought you two together in the first place? How did you meet? And... Well, believe it or not, it was Brock's really. Um, we, me and Kenneth were aware of each other. And I always knew that Kenneth was a, a kind of popular guy in town. Like, and at the time, he had some bizarre interests at the time, you know, and so did I. I was uh, traveling around the north of Scotland in Orkney and Shetland working as a, a traveling surveyor. And at the time, I was uh, getting stuck on islands quite often. And when I was stuck on these islands uh, for the day, I'd quite often go for a, a kind of walk around. And what I seen when I was there was lots of brocks, cairns and standing stones, obviously. And I looked at the way that the kind of tourism was working there at the time, thinking, look at all these people that come from all around the world to Orkney to see the exact same things that are in Caithness. So uh, I started uh, to get an interest in brochs at the time and thought we should we should try and promote the the archaeology of Caithness, which is very similar to that of Orkney. So I kind of teamed up with Ken and we started a Facebook page to to promote brochs and the heritage of the North. You know? And uh, Kenneth, was it your journey sort of uh, the same? Were you on Orkney uh, at that time, or were you elsewhere? No, I I had been in Caithness. I was born and raised in Caithness, um, where I spent the majority of my life, really. Um, but I again kind of had always been had an interest in archaeology. My dad taking took me to um, archaeological sites or kind of you know castles and things like that as a, as a child no doubt I was kicking and screaming and hating every moment of it but <laughs> it eventually rubbed off on me and so you know for, for, for many for, for as long as I can remember I've been interested in history um, and it wasn't until actually a surprisingly late age that I kind of learned about brochs and the fact that Caithness has more brochs than anywhere else and myself and Ian have always been aware that Doonry the nuclear power plant in the area which some viewers may have heard of. It's one of the kind of first, um, it was like a kind of prototype reactor built in the north of Scotland, um, about 12 miles from Caithness in the 1950s. Um, and it has provided jobs and, so, and economic security to the county for, for many years. But it's now on the wane. It's being decommissioned. I mean, it's cutting edge technology in its own right, but the job market is not really there as it, as it once was for the area. Um, and so myself and Ian had, had kind of concerns about this yeah. and thought that Caithness should kind of 
reinvent itself or kind of look to new avenues, if you like, of, of new growth. And I, I throughout my um, life in Caithness, I had worked in bars and restaurants. So I met a lot of tourists. Mm. They were all going to Orkney. Yeah. And they were all going kind of out west of their own motorbikes. That's what I remember. Mm. And if they were kind of looked a bit more continental, and um, they all had expensive jackets and they would be <laughs> on their way to, to Orkney. And I, I, it's quite sad. I don't really remember anyone uh, coming to Caithness, you know, to visit Caithness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was definitely, I definitely realised from quite, you know, from my mid-teens kind of kind of age that, that pe- people were going to Orkney. There was, Orkney was generating money through, through mm-hmm. tourism. And so I think it's that kind of shared interest in, in archaeology and tourism that's kind of led me to the Brock project. Mm-hmm. But when I found, when Ian, I think Ian actually created the kind of Facebook page, if you like, I can't remember if it was the Caithness Brock project that you called it back then, Ian, but I think I messaged Ian and said, look, I love this idea. I think I would like to be part of it. Um, uh, and we just started from, from there to, to kind of grow the, grow the idea, grow the, grow mm-hmm. the charity. I think it's important for people to understand that, uh, Caithness is very much uh, on the way to Orkney and uh, being right up in the north uh, east there. uh, What you're saying is it's tended to be overlooked um, and especially things have taken off on Orkney uh, quite relatively recently with everything that's going on up there. Um, But I just thought uh, it's important that people understand the geographic relationship of uh, of Caithness to... uh, Not a very famous county. Uh, As you say, it's very much seen as a a stepping stone to elsewhere, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, and a Mm -hmm. a county that, whilst Orkney got off on its tourism industry, as Ken said, uh, we've had Dunry, which has been a a large supplier of employment for the last 50 years. And because of that, maybe we felt as a county that we didn't really have to diversify into these other opportunities and industries because we all had good jobs in Dunry, you know. But because we're facing that closure, it seemed to be a good time to to redefine the image of Caithness, to to Mm -hmm. catch up on this uh, tourism boom and look at our sense of cultural identity. I mean, Orkney is where, if I say standing stones you think orkney if i say vikings you think shetland but when i say (laughs) caithness what springs to mind yeah paperweights yeah but unfortunately caithness glass isn't made in caithness anymore we we lost that one too (laughs) so hopefully if everyone with the broth project goes according to plan in the future when i say caithness people will think brochs so that's probably a very good time to tell people what brochs actually are yeah, I'm sure you've been asked that question many times before, but uh, yeah, no, away you go. <laughs> For anybody that doesn't know what a broch is already, maybe you should, but a, a broch is a large dry stone tower uh, built in the Iron Age. Um, they have been the focus of archaeological investigation. They're some of the most studied buildings in Scottish prehistory, mm-hmm. uh, although they still remain a little bit of a mystery. Uh, so they were built all over the north of Scotland, but Caithness is Caithness has more brochs than anywhere else. So these are quite magnificent and significant structures. They're up to 13 metres high by 20 metres across. They have multiple floors inside and they have some amazing dry stone construction where where they're built with the walls five metres thick with a staircase that winds through the the inner wall wall face um, up to multiple levels. And I suppose that seems quite significant in the British Iron Age because at that time, most people are living in rudimentary roundhouses. But the people in the north of Scotland are living in these roundhouses on steroids, if you like. (laughs) (laughs) So we felt that they were uh, quite good cultural symbols for for the county since we have more than anywhere else. Mm -hmm. And as I said before, uh, all these other areas have uh, different cultural identifiers. Like Shetland has their Vikings. Uh, yeah, we yeah. thought that, that brochs would be a good cultural identifier for Caithness. You say you've got uh, more brochs than anywhere else. What is the kind of breakdown by region, uh, as uh, numerically, as it were? In Caithness, we have 200. Yeah, in Orkney, yeah. there's about 100. There's about 70 in Shetland and 50 in the Isle of Skye. Yeah. Oh, you win then. Yeah. Yeah, we win. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I missed out Sutherland there. I think there's about 100 in Sutherland as well. Eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do, do you know what? It's true that uh, I, I think broths have been flying under the radar for far too long uh, as a point of archaeological interest and historical interest or prehistoric interest, uh, I should say. 
And I wouldn't have been that aware of them had I not been up to Orkney myself and been on uh, Martin Carruthers' dig on, on the Cairns uh, uh, Brock. And I, I know it's so easy to do a, you know, a little sketch, an overall sketch. Uh, it's very difficult to convey the complexity of them and their significance in how um, we get to interpreting what people were up to uh, between 400 BC and, uh, and 100 A. AD. And I suppose you must have learnt a heck of a lot. You know, once you've decided to do this, you you must have learnt a heck of a lot along the way, you know, and come from a very different perspective. Uh, you know, not coming from an archaeological perspective, but you're coming from a very practical uh, perspective. What insights has that given you, particular to you, that other people might not have uh, approaching the, the thing of the broch? Um, I think probably both me and Ken have got an answer to this, but I'll have a go first, and then yeah, we'll see yeah. what Ken's opinion is on that. You know, but obviously I'm a builder to trade, like, and uh, history is my passion. So the Brock project was a bit of a mix of trying to create something that was a mixture between uh, my passion and my day job. You know, mm-hmm. so I approach this from a very practical building point of view. But I think Bros can be quite simple, as you said, but uh, to to create a kind of sketch for it. But yeah. the more that you learn about them, the more and more complex this becomes and and perhaps there's been um a kind of idea of what a broch is has been ingrained in the public consciousness um for particularly from a site in shetland called musa broch which is the most complete broch that exists to this day it's it's still standing two thousand years later so musa's on um on Shetland, isn't it? It's on Shetland, yeah. 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 It's on a tiny island in Shetland. And what, what really happened with a lot of the broths was that they were uh, quarried for stone yeah. in later ages. But the, the one in Shetland was on a, a small, insignificant island. And it appears that that broth managed to survive because of the, the relative remoteness and insignificance of that place. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it shows uh, one good thing that that shows is that they are stable and secure structures that if they're not tampered with, then uh, they can last for thousands of years. Yeah. Certainly, uh, when, when we first approached this journey we thought well uh, brochs appear to be well understood this this shouldn't be too hard to define what a broch really is uh, but the the, lo- the longer we went down this road to actually looking at constructing one the, the more difficult this became you know yeah, yeah. part of that is because uh, not every broch follows the same plan there's lots of different types of brochs if you like uh, not all of them have two floors mm. not all of them are 20 meters across so it became the case of well which brock is it you would like to build you know which which one of all these would, would we choose and there's still many questions about brochs although they have been one of the most excavated examples of, of architecture in scotland mm. there's still many unanswered questions uh, such as how, how was the roof designed mm. so uh, we've had to find a way in order to push forward this project we, we really had to find an, an answer to some of these questions that perhaps the the archaeological community don't want to stake, stake their reputation on uh, creating an answer yeah. for you know but if we're going to build a broch uh, we're going to have to do this we're going to have to put a roof on it and we're going to have to answer some of these questions ourselves you know? yeah mm-hmm. have you got any follow-up sure. to that uh, kenneth um i would go one further than you and about the broch we, we, we don't have a clue what they're like inside yeah as much as we might think that a scarcement ledge and a staircase would suggest that there was a second floor mm-hmm. might not have been that's mm-hmm. the thing with a lot of the, the kind of excavations of rocks, which have been kind of relatively few in the kind of mm-hmm. modern era, certainly, mm-hmm. um, that a lot of their insights just don't survive, they don't remain. So we don't really have an idea what they were used for or who used them as such. So I think, um, you know, if they were homes, that would seem like a plausible explanation, but it's likely that, you know, a whole raft of activities took place there. Clactall Brock, for instance, has something like 12 quernstones recovered, big, big quernstones recovered from the inside mm. of um, of that particular brock. And, you know, some people have maybe suggested that this was not really a, a dwelling as such and more as mm. some sort of almost like a kind of factory in a sense. Yeah, wow, wow. So there's, and, and yeah. that maybe it could have been in some way uh, related to kind of, you know, drying, the drying of corn. Mm. So perhaps the floors weren't Kind of bedrooms, if you like, they were more just kind of. Um, I think it's a, mal- a malting floor. Is that, I think is the name for it. Oh yes, it is. It, it, it's they're really quite um, 
still mysterious, not terribly well understood. Although with each excavation, we, we understand a little bit more. There's, there's secrets that they won't ever give up. But from my, my point of view, I think what's been quite interesting is how how difficult this has been, how much of a learning process this has been for me and Ian. And I suppose that the Iron Age Baroque builders were not limited by, you know, 21st century building regulations. Mm. But nevertheless, something like this is going to be, you know, it requires the support of, all, of the whole community as it did back then, 2000 years ago. It requires people who know what they're doing, who know how to use their hands, who know how to build yeah. craft things. Yeah. It requires a lot of investment in terms of resources. So whilst we might be looking for hundreds of thousands of pounds of, of, of funding, you know, yeah. there still would have been some sort of pool of resources that was required to draw upon yeah. by the kind of Iron Age builders. It's a real communal kind of activity to build something as important and as monumental as a Baroque. So in terms of understanding societies, I think they're they're quite interesting. That's a great uh, sketch. Uh, I think we'll we'll come back and talk a bit uh, in a bit more detail uh, about the buildings themselves. Um, yes, I think yeah. uh, time to actually talk about the Caithness Brock project itself and uh, and what that's uh, about and what its drivers are and what its objectives are. Um, so, yeah, basic question, what is the Caithness Brock project? Well, the Caithness Brock project is a local grassroots-based charity that uh, aims to fully construct a replica Brock. And it's a, a bit of a three-pronged attack. Uh, the first part of this is experimental archaeology. We would like to reconstruct a Brock to learn more about, to answer some of the unanswered questions of these structures. Uh, the second part of that is to, to create a, a traditional skills workshop so that people can come here and learn how to do things like Caithness dry stone digging, thatching, round wood timber uh, framing, and all the domestic kind of chores that went on inside them. And yeah. the, the last and final most important part of this is to create an iconic tourist attraction for the north of Scotland that uh, redefines our sense of cultural identity. So in a nutshell, that's what the Caithness Brock Project is. But for the for the last seven years, we've been working towards this goal. But, uh, there's a simple fact here that uh, two guys from Caithness don't just simply walk into a funder's office and say, we've got this <laughs> great idea, fancy giving us a couple of million pounds. You know? yeah. uh, that simply doesn't happen. So what we had to do was kind of start small with small projects and get ourselves recognised and show that we're, we're capable of doing things. Yeah. Uh, and work towards that goal, you know. So I think uh, Ken will probably fill you in and some of the things that we've been doing over the last seven years uh, to get to our final goal. Okay, go on, Ken. <laughs> so, yeah, we, uh, where to start? It's been sometimes I sometimes I look back at our Facebook page and or our social media because we take a lot of photographs. It's a very visual kind of um, yeah. organisation, and I suppose it has to be. And you know, I'm I'm really quite proud of what to work in. You know, just, I was working in a call centre when we started this. That's how bored I was. I started a archaeological charity. Yeah. And Ian was, as he says, a self-employed builder. Been completely grassroots. We have not a university qualification between us. Um, and that might set us apart from a few kind of archaeological organisations. Additionally, we are, we. It's, what is commented on is the fact that we're quite young as well, young and local. Um, you know, maybe just speaking we, we for myself. <laughs> we were, and I've got a few more greys here than, than I care to admit. But um, yeah, I, so we started in earnestly, if you like, on projects in 2015, two years after we were a Facebook page. Because we were just meeting with people, talking about our ideas, seeing if there was any kind of traction in it, and just trying to understand how on earth we go about doing this. But as Ian explained, we do need to build up a kind of portfolio of successful projects, a kind of legacy of, of um, your reliability, essentially. Mm -hmm. So we started in 2015 with a, um, a, a pitching competition, actually, where we had to pitch an idea to um, a number of Caithness um, locals, basically. It was open, public, it was a, yeah. an open a public competition, yeah. To, right. uh, but it was... It was it was against essentially other organizations. And uh, so these organizations were like age concern, they were kids sports groups, there were disability groups, there were kind of mental health groups and 
you know, we thought we were just going to get the floor wiped with us, essentially. <laughs> um, uh, but we came out of that once we once we pitched our idea, which was for some interpretation panels at three block sites, which previously didn't have any interpretation panels. Oh, when, we, yeah, when, we, yeah. when it came to the voting, we got eighty percent of the vote out of a hundred. Wow. Now the trick for this was to bring your own support. Now I think we brought like Ian's brother, uh, <laughs> my dad, and my brother, something like that, and that was it. We really didn't bring up. We didn't bring a hundred block fans. I don't think there were 150 block fans in Christmas at the time anyway. Mm. But you know, to, to, to have come out of that really gave us an indication that people were excited by this idea and that they wanted something to change in Caithness. So that gave us the kind of the initiative, I think, and kind of catalyst to, to go ahead and try other projects. And so mm. we, in two, about a year later, we got funding towards a Lego block, a 10,000 piece Lego block, which was built by Brick to the Past who really are incredible what, they, what they're what they able to achieve. They've done the Lego Hadrian's Wall, they do, I think, Korgarth Castles. Um, they've done all, all sorts of kind of scenarios and dioramas out of, out of Lego. But that was a, that was a kind of centerpiece of a Brock, a Brock exhibition, which took place in 2007, 2017, I think, um, which got about 3,000 visitors across a few months, which we were really pleased with. And as part of that, we did some outreach events featuring 800 ch- children from the, the local schools um, over the course of a week, which was which was really great. Um, one of I remember getting one of the feedback forms from one of the children, which said, you know, I had a picture of the of the world, and it even had a little um, arrow saying the world, just to, just in case you weren't clear what it was. And it said, this is the best Lego Brock in the world. <laughs> Which I thought was great until one of my friends pointed out that it was also the only Lego Brock in the world. <laughs> but, so we also did that. So we, as, as well as that, at the same kind of time, we, we kind of fundraised towards our first kind of archaeological excavations, which was the kind of all part of the kind of Caithness Brock Festival of which the exhibition was part of. And so that was three Brock sites across. So it was a pan Caithness excavation. Um, we had about 150 people attend. Um, we, had, we, also, we also had a kind of coastal walk with Scotland's Coastal Heritage at Risk programme. Um, and in 2018, that's the kind of time that we kind of really went for it. We kind of fundraised towards the conservation of an existing Brock. Probably the ah, best yes. Brock, or yeah. example of a Brock in Caithness called Ousdale Burnbrock, which myself and Ian visited. Ian had been in 2013, but when we returned in 2015, it was in a sorry state. It was really, it was really not looking good, and a few more winters, and it might have, you know, been unsavable. But we approached the Soric Environment Scotland, and we were able to amass some funding towards the conservation. And this project is it was due to finish in March before the obvious uh, coronavirus problems hit. So we're hoping that this conservation project, which included uh, the, the installation of a car park um, and, and the path and, and mm-hmm. interpretation panels, um, to the tune of about £180,000, should mm-hmm. be completed right. in about well, in the next month or so, hopefully. But I think that kind of just shows you the way that we've staggered it from yeah. a £2,000 project for three interpretation panels to a full-scale um, conservation project worth yeah. 180,000 pounds, and I think it maybe demonstrates the the our, our ambitions, our lofty ambitions. But the way yeah. the way that we've been able to, you know, work together to kind of show our capability, to show our resilience or resourcefulness, yeah. um, it's been a long journey. Um, and I did sort of think that we'd maybe build this brock in a couple of years, and uh, <laughs> I've been proven completely wrong. So, <laughs> but so no, we're, we're all working towards the next. Yeah, it was a typical grand designs conversation there, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but nevertheless, what an achievement! Hats off to you guys for keeping going and uh, keeping pressing on. Yeah, it's a phenomenal achievement. I'll tell you, one of the questions I wanted to ask you was, and, and you touched on it a little bit earlier on. Uh, but modern health and safety. <laughs> if you're trying to build an Iron Age uh, Brach uh, as far as possible, as you know, as aut- authentically as possible, how is your construction affected by modern health and safety? 
Um, massively so, but we we hope to approach this from a purist uh, vantage first. Mm. So we'll go for a pure archaeological model first, and then slowly make concessions as we go, as opposed to uh, attempting to uh, mitigate these factors from the start. You know, let's mm. find out okay. what we can actually mm. get away with first, and then make changes to the building. Then you know, so uh, nice. famously, Brocks have only got one entrance, yeah, and that might pose some problems with uh, escape. But there are a couple of brocks. Especially when the walls are ten feet thick. Yeah, there's, <laughs> yes. there's no there's no way out. There's no there's no doors and there's no windows elsewhere. But uh, uh, there's a couple of brocks, one in Shetland that has uh, an extra entrance on the, the first floor. So we can look to other examples of the archaeology to look for ways to mitigate some of the, the escape problems but mm. then still say that this is archaeologically representative because there is one broch that actually has two entrances. Right. So it's a, it's a tricky it's a tricky balance between authenticity and looking for an escape route or a way to get round some of the, the problems we're <laughs> going to face in health and safety. Yeah, yeah. Luckily, my, my girlfriend is a drafts person for an architect, so she knows... A lot of these uh, health and safety rules off by hand. That's how handy. Far, how far I need to be from a fire before you get to fire exit, um, yeah. and such. But we haven't really got that far yet. We, we are. We have employed architects, and we're heading towards that direction at the moment uh, to have that conversation with engineers like, yeah. about mm-hmm. uh, how feasible this is actually going to be. Like, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's I suppose. Amazing. I suppose. Look, it kind of it all. All of this actually really kind of hinge, hinges on on where we decide to build the broch, and at the moment. As you mentioned there, we are working with some consultants to narrow that down and hopefully together um, with both ourselves and the kind of consultants, we'll be able to pick the best place to build the block. And once we know where, we'll be, where we're building it, that will impact on kind of how we build it and all the kind of, um, you know, all the um, issues that we might come up against and all the kind of restrictions and regulations that we have to kind of surpass. Mm. But as, I, think, I think it's entirely possible um, to do all of this, not kind of um, step on anyone's toes in terms of um, regulations and kind of mm-hmm. and laws, yeah. and perhaps we might need to make some concessions here and there. But as Ian says, it's it's about trying to strike, trying to you know build something as closely to the archaeological record as possible, but uh, kind of in a, in a safe way and in a way that doesn't kind of you know compromise what we're trying to achieve. I mean, I yeah, think one, of the, one of the things that people think straight away is concrete and steel, you know. Uh, I always say that if you try and stay as close to the archaeology as possible and make concessions as you, as you go, you know, but if all you have yeah. is a hammer, then everything looks like nails. So if you go straight to an engineer, then he's going to just say concrete, steel, and then just clad it all in stone. Like, And, and really, for me, that, that, would be, that would be my idea of a nightmare to spend 10 years to try and get here and then to create a fake... Yeah. But that's a, a really interesting question, though, Ian. I mean, because of the particular stone you've uh, got there, uh, uh, have the particular have particular skills come down through the ages? You know, that would that will inform how you know and uh, be fed into how the the brock is constructed. The, the skills do kind of still exist. Um, Caithness yeah. is famous for its Caithness flagstone. I was going to say, yeah. The, the county's got a special type of geology that creates a flat laminar stone. Mm-hmm. And perhaps in a way, that you get the same stone in Orkney as well. Mm-hmm. In a way, you could argue that the, the way that that stone breaks into nice flat Lego brick type pieces uh, perhaps informed the, the advent of large-scale megalithic archaeology in yeah. Orkney because it fits yeah. together so well, you know, yeah. that, that makes it easy to build to stack up to make structures like maze how you know mm. so caithness uh, is known for its dry stone construction like, and there are still dry stone dikers here but unfortunately uh, dry stone buildings aren't something that is uh, that the modern regulations have a lot of uh, information on you know? sure. nobody really builds buildings from from dry stone anymore so mm-hmm. what yeah. it is we need to get is an engineer certificate and, and a lot of the time they base their calculations on what's called euro codes whereas the, the bricks your house is built from they understand the the newton capacity of those materials so mm-hmm. they we don't have to build a brick house to see that it works they can tell that it works by running a computer model but what they don't have is the right. compression strength and the understanding of the dry stone construction to, to just go ahead and get an SER, an okay. engineer certificate. 
So uh, it's not that the skills don't exist. It's kind of like the, the, the data doesn't exist for right. the engineers to just uh, right. check in a box. But that, okay. that's going to be part of the, the journey of the Broth Project and the engineers as well. That if we, if we do pull this off and the engineers manage to get this data, it can open up all sorts of avenues for future construction of all sorts of different types of buildings using dry stone construction. Do you have an idea of roughly, uh, I mean, it's, obviously it's going to be in Caithness. So you, uh, uh, are, you, are you keeping it in the, uh, more or less in the heart of where, because you've got, you said you've got 200. Did you say you've got, two in, you've got 200 in Caithness? So are, are you going to keep it uh, sort of within... Uh, say visiting distance of some other ruins, so that you can contrast the ruins with the reconstruction sort of thing, or or is that not something? Hope for that, but in a county with two hundred blocks, there's hardly anywhere you can actually go without being near one. <laughs> Which is quite advantageous for us in a in a sense. But we, we've had all sorts of varieties of sites. Uh, some have been close to the town. And for me, one of the, the overriding factors in picking a site has been authenticity. I want you mm. to come to the Broad Project and feel that you've just been transported 2,000 years back into the Iron Age. So right. staying, although uh, to make a good economic case, it'd be nice to be near villages and towns that have tourists coming through. But at the same time, having that in the backdrop kind of spoils the feel of the place. Like, sure. So I've yeah, really sure. always pushed to get further out into the country. Mm. Um, and the further out into the countryside you go, the more likely you are to be close to some archaeology. So we would kind of like to have, say, an archaeological trail near, nearby so you can come to the broch, use it as a kind of hub, explain to the tourists what a broch was, and then try and encourage them out into the landscape, hopefully <coughs> just nearby, to, yeah. to see some, some brochs that are ruined in the landscape, obviously. But yeah. hopefully when they go out then to explore Caithness, they go out uh, informed as to what these things are that they're actually looking at. There is a sense in which that uh, simply be, by going through the thought processes of, of examining all these problems that you're already in the realm of experimental archaeology <laughs> because you're solving, solving these problems. Do you think you, you're already encroaching on that area where you're supplying some kind of answers to questions that may be posed by the uh, known archaeology? You know, there is, Brocks are still a bit of a mystery, but if, if you delve deep enough, uh, I think the problem is that uh, there's all sorts of ideas that, that still go about about what Brocks are used for, and, and we tend to just use little snippets of archaeology from all over the country to, to uh, inform parts of the design of the building. But... Um, What's kind of been lacking in the, the story of Brochs is a synthesized picture of what it's really all about, you know, because mm. each Broch shows a kind of different thing. One might have uh, lots of deer remains in it, and it looks like uh, <laughs> they've been using deer as their, their main source of food. And the next one might have, as Ken said, many cornstones in it. So it yeah. looks like... Uh, it's hard to explain that not every that every broch is a, a catch-all structure as a house, but they have got different things going on in them. So the hope mm. was that the the broch project would begin to synthesise all these small little wee snippets of information into one grand picture of what a broch was kind of all about. Mm. And uh, that might be slightly unfair in a sense that it, it, um, it's hard to capture that in, in one go uh, and make it representative of everything. You know? mm. Mm. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. When this is complete and the, and the design that we've been putting together just now that we might be able to show you a few pictures of when, when this is put together we yeah. hope that it's going to be a quite an honest representation of all brochs rather than one broch in particular yeah. sure yeah. so how much then uh, because it, it's thought that there were settlements surrounding the the brochs uh, generally speaking so are, are you are you going to try to incorporate that in any sense or is this is very much a kind of slow build project as much as possible but it will be a phased construction like so uh, initially we will just build a broch and focus on getting that passed off and constructed and then once mm. that is finished if we have been running dry stone workshops what do we do with the dry stone workshops once the broch is built obviously you have to keep that thing going so we will then build a rampart wall hopefully the block house which is a a, a, a kind of guard house that goes at the front of the rampart mm -hmm. wall and as time yeah. goes as the years go on we're talking 
many years we'll be old men ourselves by the time this is finished. <laughs> hopefully we've created a whole kind of Broch village all around the, the surrounding the Broch. Yeah, exactly what I was going to ask, you know, if you can go to find a site that you can go to that extent where you can incorporate, you know, what would be uh, the larger community uh, buildings round about. Yeah, yeah that, that large community thing is was more of an Arcadian thing where yeah. you find these Broch villages. You've got uh, Garness and Midhow. But yeah. then if you go out west or to Shetland, you don't see that Broch mm. village surrounding the whole, oh, the right. whole Broch. Okay. You know? So yeah, it's yeah. a regional thing, and that's mm. what I mean. There's not many of those in Caithness either. Okay. And that's what I mean by um, trying to build a Broch that looks like that's every man's Broch rather than one that's focused mm. on any particular Broch culture in any region that you find them, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Certainly, Ian's, Ian's design has kind of reflected that quite well. And uh, from a tourist point of view, I think that if you have more things to look at and more things to wander about and visit, sure. it you know increases dwell time and um, we'll just make for a more interesting experience because we we always have to be mindful that okay, we're, this is an archaeological project, experimental archaeological project, but it's also uh, you know a tourist project as well. It's also a kind of economic investment for Caithness, and so we want it to be mm. the the best that it can possibly be. So mm. um, the more that we have, I think the better. I think the, the Cranock Centre, for instance, if you've perhaps visited yeah. there, are a good example of this because they were just the Cranock. Yeah. And they were essentially just an, an archaeological experiment to begin with, but they've kind of developed things around that. They've grown and grown and grown. They've, they've a lot of um, kind of try your hand at or kind of have a go activities or kind of Iron Age activities, which make for a much more enjoyable and certainly more kind of family day out. And that's kind of mm. what we'll, we'll we'll be looking to emulate in, in many respects. Um, Ian mentioned at, at the beginning the economic aspects of it, you know, in t- the, one of the major drivers for this is to provide uh, economic income for Caithness generally and jobs uh, for people. I just wanted to give you the opportunity to speak a bit more towards that because it's I think it's an aspect of it that, from your point of view, deserves uh, emphasis um, you know, for people's interest, you know, people are listening. They want to help uh, uh, contribute and uh, and help you achieve what you're you're going for. So, do you want to say a few more words uh, about that? Well, obviously, uh, that's all further down the line. But we need to make mm-hmm. a strong economic case in order to to convince the funders to give us enough money to do this in the first place. Uh, I'd like to draw your attention to the Gildion Castle in France where they've been building a 13th century castle for the last 10 years. Ah, So the the idea there isn't to build a castle and to get tourists through the door. The idea is to build a castle and that makes tourists come through the door. So it's not a case that we just need all this money to build a broch so we can make money. Mm -hmm. Uh, We hope that the construction of the broch itself will become a tourist attraction in its own right. People will begin coming through the door to to see this actually in action and, and want to become a part of it. Uh, and so in our sense there's no hurry to build this broch you know we, we hope that we will phase okay. this construction and make it over, if you couldn't tell already <laughs> to phase the construction over uh, over a few years uh, so that we're not just building in the winter to get the job done that we'll do right. it for summer season so that we can attract um, skills from all over the world world hopefully um, to come along and help be part of this possibly even pay to be mm. to be part of it and obviously to take part in the traditional skills workshops that'll right. be part of it right. yeah. and then uh, obviously when it's complete it's about a bit of diversification as well you know yeah. uh, so we're looking at things like would, could we use it as a wedding venue uh, just for photographs really not sure. people not like a church yeah. but uh, <laughs> what, what other things what other revenues might this be able to make just beyond charging people to come in the door to see it you know? mm-hmm. yeah 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 I think that's, I mean, the, the whole diversification thing is it's just so important for Caithness just now because um, as Ian sometimes does in his sort of talks, he'll say that his, his granddad worked at Dunry before Dunry kind of was a, a nuclear power plant. Dunry was a, a runway, essentially, before it became a power plant. Okay. And then Ian's dad <clears throat> built Dunry or helped to build Dunry. And uh, Ian himself helped to decommission Dunry. So there's three generations of uh, employment there, essentially. That, um, oh, you know, yeah, that's how Caithness yeah. has benefited. So, uh, Dunry employs something like one in five people in the area. And so to take right. that away is, is you're really, you're, I think like hampering a community is, is, is not strong enough for it. You're, you're really damaging Caithness and the people who live there, and especially mm. for mm. people who may want to move and live there themselves. Mm. Um, yes. the, the, this has led Highland Council to predict that 
Caithness could lose up to about 20% of its population. You know, that's like Glasgow losing, you know, a couple hundred thousand people or you know, London losing a couple of million of people. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's really yeah. quite, it's, uh, it's, it's scary and it's worrying. And I feel slightly obliged given the fact that I, I had a very safe and happy uh, life in Caithness that I kind of feel obliged to do something for the county um, as well. And I guess the, the, our way of doing that is to try and think about new ways in which Caithness can continue to thrive and continue to attract people and retain people. And there's always mm. been a kind of a highland problem of people leaving these kind of rural areas and leaving mm. for big cities. It happens mm. everywhere, really. Mm. And so that's that's the kind of that's kind of what we're working towards is, is how else can we, you know, how can we attract people? How can we retain yeah. people? How can we ensure that there are jobs and economic opportunities for everyone? And I don't think the Brock itself will say employ a huge amount of people. Um, but what that could lead to is it really bolsters and shores up our tourist industry, our cafes, our restaurants, the, the ferries, yeah. the, the buses, the kind of amenities and facilities that yeah. are available yeah. in Caithness. And I think something as kind of striking and iconic as a broch could really be not only a tourist attraction for Caithness, not mm. just for the far north, but for, for Scotland too. I thought it was really important that um, people heard that, you know, because uh, Caithness, from a heritage point of view, doesn't just have broths. There's a whole variety of things. And how much can that other stuff, I mean, the, the Camster Cairns, for, for example, can be included in, in, in the development? I mean, is that a parallel thing or will that happen organically, do you think? Because what we're going to, I think it'll happen organically, you know, yeah. over time, you know, but because what our ambitions are already so lofty, we didn't want to sell this as a kind of Disneyland of archaeology. <laughs> we, we wanted it to just say, look, it was the, we're just trying to build a broch and make it simple and start small, but in, in reality... Very wise, you're very wise indeed. Kick off and work in the way that we do want it to uh, yeah. say 20 years down the line if the brock's complete and the village is complete then why do we not look at the, the other types of structures yeah. um mm. burnt uh, mounds cairns and to, to just keep this going uh longevity and that's it and uh create some sort of archaeological park out of you know but well, really we, yeah, we, we but have I mean, to the, show that we were successful with a brock first before we could get onto that really you know yeah uh, don't all just uh, extend uh, back in time beyond 400 BC and come right forward with your castles and yeah, right you could build a replica dunry as well. Yeah. You know, so. <laughs> <laughs> when I was, was I was originally thinking about this, it was a kind of uh, strike off between do we build a bra or do we build a Viking boat. Wow. <laughs> okay. We've got quite a strong Norse culture here as well. Indeed, the, yeah. the thing was, if people want to go on a Viking holiday, they're going to go to Shetland. Yeah, yeah. So it's a bit mm. like trying to sell cheeseburgers outside McDonald's. Has, if has anybody else got a Viking boat apart from the Isle of Man? Yeah, they've got one in Shetland as well, oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, and in the absolute middle of nowhere, you know, I was yeah. driving through Shetland, <laughs> I turned around a corner, and here is a full-on Viking longship with no visitors there, nothing, just a, there's a longship in the middle of nowhere. I thought, this is oh. great. If these people can do this here, then why can't we do the same thing in case? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it is an, an amazing project. And uh, do, you, do you have a rough idea in your heads as to uh, you know, how long, even though your, your main, you know, your ultimate aim, okay, is to build it, but you're not in a rush to build it as such. But what's the time scale in your heads that you think it will take for the project to reach? a completion of the build anyway of the bra do you mean like how long from where we are right now to or or once we uh, take the first shovel in the ground to when the project's complete uh, both well i keep on saying three years uh always since three years and then three years later we're maybe a couple of steps further than we were three years ago okay um, yeah. at the moment we've we're got to finish off site selection you, we can't move forward with the design of the broth that we have that we have designed it already but we can't get an engineer certificate for that unless we have it situated where it's going to be. And that's to do with okay. ground conditions and things like that. You know, So we hope mm. to have site selection finished by the end of this year. After that, it's the engineer's part, which could take a very long time. It's impossible to, to say how long that could take. You know, That could be a very mm. long conversation of back and forth. Uh, but if that went smoothly, and we, uh, that would be funding next after that, 
So if you allowed a year for each of those things, it would be three years. But I think I have said three years about three times already. Okay. <laughs> and then once it came to uh, shovels in the ground, we would break a, break the structure into four kind of different sandwich sections, you know, so foundation mm-hmm. and substructure, uh, first floor level, second floor level, and then roof, you know, so break those into building seasons over four years. Yeah, yeah. Right. So it, it could be up to seven years before it would be completed as a broth from this point. Fair that's, enough. that's only Fair if enough. everything goes according to plan. I want to sure. sort of uh, bring us back to the broth itself and uh, I'm going to ask you a question I'm going to ask you the wood question (laughs) you just mentioned roofs and uh, have you come to a conclusion or a no (laughs) kind of I think Ian will be able to answer the the big roof question yeah yeah I mean there is a big roof question because of course we've got no evidence for you know how the roof was uh, or indeed the floors inside were constructed some people were of the opinion they were like roofless and that just seems to me (laughs) not sensible having lived in Scotland for 27 31 years now I I, I imagine there would have been some sort of um, some sort of roof um but we've been kind of playing with ideas and looking at different kind of um, constructions. And for instance, Clackamon Broch, uh, Historic Environment Scotland produced a really fantastic kind of geodome shape type thing. Oh, but there's really? just no way of, of of knowing what what we're kind of kind of we're gonna we're going to build essentially. And Ian's kind of just gone with. It. I think you've gone with a kind of traditional roundhouse type yeah. type roof. But I mean, I... but we'll find out. If that works, when we build it, I think, and, and then and it falls it, off after two if, days. We'll if go, it doesn't work, then we'll, at least we'll still have a large structure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, I will say it's like uh, I mean, we we have thousands upon thousands of complex of just basic roundhouses, and they all had mm-hmm. a, con- a high conical roof that you can see these all over the country from Butser Farm in England. Yeah all the way up. Uh, they've done their reconstructions. Obviously, I think it was David Foreman who'd uh, reconstructed the roofs there. So we have a, a long tradition in Britain through the Bronze Age of uh, hut circles with yeah. high conical roofs. And I always mm. thought, just because we've got a round broch that's very tall, is there any need to reinvent the roof? Do we not just have a high conical roof that we see well established over, over a thousand years all over the whole country yeah. uh, and place that type of roof on top of a broch? It's all very well, you know, for us to, I mean, to, you know, pick and choose, you know, what would on, you know, would or not for the roof. But 2000 years ago, that would have been a different story entirely, sourcing uh, in your part of the country. Uh, well, so there's, there's the roof question, then there's the, the, the wood question. I, I sometimes I don't know which one's easier or harder to, to answer, you know. Yeah. At least we know that there is a style of roof that's predominant all over the British Isles at the time, and that's that's the roof that, that I've selected. Thing. But uh, the wood question is probably a, a much more difficult question to answer concisely because mm. not many people will know, but Caithness and the North is not famed for its uh, forests. It's a very barren and desolate area here. Um, and it, it looks from the dendro archaeology that it, it, it was quite treeless in the Iron Age as well, but not mm-hmm. entirely treeless. So there is some things like uh, wattle, so it's like wicker, instead of long, heavy timbers. Uh, you've mm-hmm. got small willow temp- uh, twigs that you use to make wattle, mm-hmm. and that's what had informed the geo geodome type roof that Ken yeah. talked about that's at the, in the illustration. Yeah, okay. So uh, because of the scarcity of uh, construction timbers, they've chosen to, to go for a, a willow roof and, and they kind of mm-hmm. netted it in like basket weave uh, and to create a roof out of that. But uh, we do know from some of the Brock archaeology that... Uh, some very little wood survives, but a few bits have survived, and some of the bits that have survived had little wee pedic holes in them, and those are small green oh, enemies. Okay. So we know that these pieces of wood spent some time in the ocean, so they were driftwood. Oh, and uh, two thousand yeah. years ago, I mean, we still—if you go down to the beach, you will find logs on the beach that has washed up. But mm. two thousand years ago, the world had fifty percent more forest cover. So you would have had a lot of the Atlantic forests reaching all the way to the shoreline. Uh, uh, many of those trees would have fallen in and washed up on the shores as driftwood and long timber lengths. Yeah, fascinating. Yeah, interesting. That can address 
part of the the tree question, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, as Ken said, there is groups of folk in Shetland that believe that the, the, possibly the broths weren't roofed at all, you know. Mm-hmm. But I think that uh, our design shouldn't be constrained by those types of uh, limitations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, if, if the structure's there, then, then we should just roof it anyway. And mm-hmm. we don't have to be that purist that we need to, to show where the wood came from in order to, to say that they were roofed, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I think the tourists will be thankful during a downing yeah. port. Uh, <laughs> as well. So again, it's that it's, it's, it's striking that that balance. So yeah, but it really is the old uh, evidence. Um, um, absence of evidence isn't evidence of absence. So it's uh, yeah, it does kind of make sense that if you're going to go to that that trouble to uh, to build something with more than one story, yeah. that uh, for it not to be roofed would seem a bit odd. In the world of form following function, what's your feeling for... Or function following form. Or function following <laughs> form, yes, all that way around. What's, what's your feeling as to the essential core purpose or, you know, why broths are that way and, and uh, how people would have utilised them? I mean, essentially a living space or a practical space or... I, what I think so, and... Uh, uh, Certainly, in the past, they were viewed as uh, defensive structures and and Norse towers, you know, um, and very much seen as that gives connotations of a military purpose. As if there's a, this is a military structure, and if you look around the landscape, you'll find uh, villages and all the rest of it that represent the domestic structures. But yes. at the time, we we don't really find that. What we find is lots of broths. So we kind of show that this is where people are actually living, and, and perhaps that's. Uh, a bit less exciting than just viewing them as as military structures because they they have that castle like uh, feel about them with thick walls yeah. and and tall mm-hmm. towers and no windows. But um, I, I would think that there's kind of enough evidence uh, in the domestic finds that we find in there to say that there's some sort of domestic dwelling. You know, there's yeah. definitely domestic use going on there. You know, mm-hmm. and the lack of other archaeology. You know, uh, people have said that. Uh, they represent, say, the aristocracy lives in the, the large tower and they lord it over the people living in smaller dwellings. But we, we don't really find enough of these smaller dwellings to, to make an aristocracy uh, that live in the greater dwellings, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's kind of looking outside the broch, really, at the rest of the landscape can start to tell you more about it's the absence of archaeology and the, the rest of the landscape can start to say that it's more likely that the broch is the kind of catch-all structure for a, a farming republic at the time. Like, well, it's interesting that querns were found in, uh, uh, in which one did you say? There were six quern stones found in one? So back all out west. Uh, I mean, it, it, you know, you, you, you can't deny that there is a certain windmill-esque feel to them. <laughs> <laughs> like I said about um, fight, not finding the other things in the archaeology. So what we find in the Highland townships is corn drying kilns. So mm-hmm. we know where they were drying their corn. You know, they have their houses. That's one structure. And we find a corn drying kiln. So that's the other structure. But in the Iron right. Age, we're not finding corn drying kilns. So where's the corn drying going on then? You know? uh-huh. mm-hmm. So that, that leads me to think that uh, it's probably going on within the broch as well, you know, that the yeah. broch is used for ironworking, pottery making, domestic purposes. It is the catch-all structure of that community. Yeah. And I think now in the modern era, we've got so many buildings that have so many individual uses. The church is for religion, the fire stations for fire engines, and we live in houses. But in the Iron Age, that doesn't appear to be happening. Everything yeah. seems to be happening within the circle of that broth, uh, mm-hmm. whether it's the ritual of the community, the, the industry of the community, and the housing and domestic chores of them all seem mm-hmm. all, all appears, in my opinion, to be happening within the circle of that broth. An aspect yeah. that yeah. Uh, fascinates me is that uh, having been relatively intimately involved with a broth uh, on Orkney, is I became aware, of course, with 10-foot-thick walls and one entrance, there were no windows. So they would have been dark interiors. And um, I just wonder what what impact that has on the way you live in something like that, whether you do live in something like that, because you don't choose to spend a vast amount of time being a human being in the dark. And without... Uh, artificial light would not have, uh, you know, done the trick wholly, uh, a, a day or night. 
essentially these are farming communities uh, we can tell by the the types of arable ground that they're situated in that uh, these are farming communities basically so they're going to be spending a, a large portion of their life of their life out working in the field you know that's true uh, and then the the dig that you were on at cairns that's headed by martin carruthers um we, we follow that dig and the developments that go on there closely and they if anyone's listening and they're into brocks it's a great uh social media channel to follow if you want to learn more about Bros because the, yes, the excavation is live and we seem to learn more and more every year but it, it does have two hearths so uh, and the the ground floor centers around those those two different rooms that have a hearth in each of them yes. you know so it, it appears to be which we find in quite a lot of roundhouse dwellings is life life is something that's lived around the light of a fire you know? yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I think there's quite a lot of um, pots found there and kind of even like kind of whalebone pots as well yeah. uh, but these kind of oil lamps as well would have been used so yeah. it would have probably, probably they'd probably be careful about the way that they light up mm. the broch for you know reasons of resource but also you know there might be a lot of wood in there so there'll be you have to actually be careful about how you light it <laughs> so i think it would be, it'd be quite an experience i'd be yeah. really interested to see how we translate that in yeah. terms of shuffling tourists yeah, into which the, is kind of behind yeah. my question yeah a little bit <laughs> into it and then and then you know how is that it, it, i think it would be it'd be very atmospheric yeah um and perhaps that was on a purpose maybe if you were from a village down the road and you came across this brock you would think well surely who lives here someone who lives here is a you know a very great and powerful man and i mm. think actually talking about the way that you light up a brock in the way that you know what what brocks represent or what they're kind of their, their functionals i think it does kind of to me it kind of represents this kind of stratification of society where you might have a lot of activities going on in a brock but somebody somebody was responsible for bringing that together for getting that brock built yeah. and for ensuring the safety and the um the kind of on, the ongoingness of of that particular community and I think we we might do well to remember that this is following the Bronze Age, which was a kind of relative period of plenty in Scotland mm. and in, in the UK. But the kind of climatic conditions of the Iron Age were a lot worse, and so we see a lot of people, you know, farming less in the kind of the kind of highlands and what became the moorlands of Scotland, the kind of mountainsides, and coming down and coming together. And it, so it represents this this kind of banding together, whereby people start to you know follow one person or a chief or a kind of tribe or one tribe becomes more powerful and then this leads into the kind of early historic period of scotland as well where we see the formation of like the picts or the yeah. the britons or yeah. the you know the dalria that, that kind of thing so i think it's just it all follows on from the iron age where we see start where we see this kind of amalgamation of of peoples joining together to um you know to, to survive as such and the mm-hmm. brock i think represents that Talking of the details, um, there's a number of details I'm, I'm thinking of, like uh, at Cairns Broth, there's a well, and they've even got a souterrain. You're going to think in terms of incorporating little niceties like that? Yeah, <laughs> definitely. We love souterrains. We absolutely yeah. love them. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be difficult uh, to make things like a well and then have it you obviously if any of your listeners don't know some of these wells are quite grand constructions it's yes. not simply a hole in the ground that you drop a bucket and there's a yeah, set yeah, of stairs yeah. and you can pretty much go into it yeah. um but that's in it's the, the grandest scale a lot of these wells are just uh, a boat shaped hole with a couple of stairs and some water at the bottom yeah. um we'd like to represent these things but and have them there as representative but not try to bring the tourists straight into it obviously you know so we, we need to yeah. represent the archaeology that's there and be able to say look well there's a well there's a ready source of water um whether that's where they were getting their clean drinking water from or if you are in a, a, a structure with lots of wood and you have a hearth in the middle fire might have been a serious problem so having a ready source of water that you can douse a fire it with in this in the structure could have been quite a wise idea at the time you know mm-hmm. um, and souterrains as well we, we have got uh, i have designed a wag which is a, a caithness version of a souterrain if you like it's an aisled enclosure you know uh, and we we believe that they might may be used for storing food we're not entirely sure okay. but uh, we need to find these things and we need if there isn't an archaeological answer we need to find a use for them so that we can make them into something representative to to visitors to this place you know so i've I've incorporated a wag into the the iron age village you know 
Fascinating. We could have a really great conversation about wags and suit arrangers and, and uh, we really fobbies. could. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, guys, <laughs> we... it's been absolutely uh, fascinating, and we're we're coming up to to the hour there. Rupert, have you got any yeah. more um, things that you want to ask uh, about no, Brock in, think in particular? I think we've covered everything that I wanted to ask, and yeah. really, it's just to 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 wish you all the very, very best with uh, with pushing the project along. And yeah. I have to say that you know we would very much like to uh, come and see you in the field when you're um, when you're doing stuff, and actually come up and visit the site and uh, uh, and yeah. maybe report back to our viewers uh, on what you're doing up there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. If you guys uh, decide to come on a northern exposure adventure, then we would uh, happily guide you to some of the best brocks in the county. Now. Fabulous. Fantastic. We'll and hold also, you to that. Uh, we, we've got a, a regular monthly show going on now, so it'd be great if you could um, uh, come back onto that in a few months' time or so and... Uh, and, and do a little bit about it and hear how you're uh, getting along. Important thing, um, if w- people do want to get involved and uh, support you somehow, what's the best way of uh, accessing and, and uh, supporting you? Uh, you? Yeah, thanks. You can sign up. You can help us. You can support us for completely free. Uh, you can become a friend of the Broch, and mm-hmm. you can do that by visiting our website, uh, going to www. TheBrockProject.co.uk. You can also just follow us on our Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook pages. I tend, I like to think I can do a good meme. Um, And if you've got any burning questions about Brocks, just visit, just email KeithnessBrockProject at gmail.com. Fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you very much, guys. Guys, thank you so much. Uh, Really enjoyed talking to you. uh, Yeah, and really look forward to seeing it develop. So, Listeners, hope you enjoyed that, and um, thank you for being with us, and we'll uh, see you all again soon, I hope. Bye-bye for now. Cheerio, folks. 